0: If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to Philippians in the New Testament, Uh, we're going to continue our series, working our way through Philippians, which we've entitled, To Live is Christ. To Live is Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at a whole three verses. Two last week, three this week. So maybe we'll head for four next week. I'm not sure. I I haven't counted them yet, but we'll see. So Galatians... Sorry, Galatians. Ephesians Uh, not Ephesians, they come before (laughs) and then you get to Philippians, which is where we are um, today. So we're going to read verse 1 through to verse 6. Philippians 1, verse 1 to 6, and I'm reading from the ESV. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's just pray again. Father, we come to you. And uh, yes, we are just looking at a couple of verses this morning. But that doesn't equate with what uh, we're looking at, the depth of it, the wonder of it. And uh, yeah, we know, Lord, that without your help, we have the very real potential of missing it, and we don't want that to happen. So Father, we come and we pray that your Spirit would be our teacher, that you'd be at work in us by your Spirit for your glory, that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts and quicken our wills to respond in repentance and faith to what you're going to say to us today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many of you know that tone makes a massive difference in terms of communication? Tone makes a massive difference in terms of communication. No matter what language you speak across the world, the tone of the words is as important, sometimes even more important, than the words themselves that are spoken. And we kind of pick this up pretty early, I reckon, kind of on Mother's Day. We pick this up as children. And we know this from parenting, right? So you call your children for dinner. Charlie, your dinner's ready, darling. No one comes. Charlie, your dinner's on the table. Still no one comes. Charlie, your dinner's going cold. Still no one comes. Charlie, if you don't come right now, you'll go without, and so on. Sorry if your name's Charlie, by the way. (laughs) But tone is really important in understanding what is being said, which is a little bit harder to kind of grasps when the words are written and not spoken but it's possible and it's worth just a bible reading tip here when you're reading God's word for yourself don't just read the words that are spoken recognize the tone in which they are being said now be careful because you can jump to all sorts of conclusions but you know allow the context to kind of give you some clarity about the way the words are being said, the pathos with which the words are being said and so on. And here in Philippians, as we've looked, read this morning, uh, tone is really important because as we pay attention to it, what we're going to notice is this. We're going to notice that Paul is joyful because of those he's writing to. He's joyful because of them. We're also going to notice that there is this warmth of relationship or partnership between Paul and them. And then we're also going to notice that Paul has this deep confidence about them and for them. So this morning we're going to look at these three things together. Firstly, Paul has joy in the presence of God because of them. Paul has joy in the presence of God because of them. Verse 3 and 4. If you look there, you can't really miss the tone, can you? I mean, I suppose you can, but let's make sure we don't. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, making my prayer with joy, or always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. With joy. What's he doing? Well, as he thinks about these fellow Christians in Philippi, as they come to mind for him, as he reflects on his time with them when he brought the gospel to them and they first became Christians in res- as they responded in repentance and faith, as he thinks about what he's heard about them since then, notice he is filled with thankfulness to God. He's filled with thankfulness to God and he's filled with joy before God. And it's not just a one of, it seems to be a constant feature of his prayers for them. He says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. This is a consistent tone, if you like, in Paul's prayers. And notice he doesn't, it's not just prayers that he prays about some of them, it's prayers he prays about all of them, which I'm guessing would include those who are maybe less easy to love among them. And yet, as Paul remembers them, he thanks God for them. Now, it's important for us, I think, to remember where Paul is. When he writes to them. Where is he? He's in prison. He's in prison or in chains is another way that he describes it. And he makes it clear in his letter to the Philippians that he is in prison for Jesus. That is, he's in prison for proclaiming Jesus to people, including the Philippians. He's got himself in hot water with the, the governing authorities for telling others about Jesus, and it's landed him in jail. So from one angle, things are not going too well for Paul and his mission, are they? You wouldn't blame him, would you, if he was a little bit light on thanksgiving to God and joy to in the presence of God. You wouldn't blame him, would you, if he was a bit light on? You wouldn't blame him if he was struggling a bit at this point in time, asking maybe some big questions like, what is God doing? Why has he let this happen to me? I mean, I've been faithful, right? You called me to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That's what I was doing. And this is where I end up? How does prison fit with taking the gospel to the world? Well, we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. But what's clear is this. Paul is far from being light on in thankfulness to God and joy in the presence of God. In fact, it seems it's quite the opposite. I thank my God making my prayer with joy. So friends, I think there's an important principle here for us this morning and it's this. The thankfulness and joy in prayer, in our prayer, is not dependent on our circumstances. It's not dependent on our circumstances. It's not based on our lives turning out how we think they should. And it's not destroyed when difficulty or hard seasons come our way. It doesn't mean we don't feel those seasons or those difficulties, but this kind of joy and thankfulness that we, we, we see here is not destroyed by them. So I suppose the obvious question is this. Why do we so often seek our joy in our circumstances. Why do we do that? Is it possible that it's because that's what our world does? That's the pond in which we swim. And we would be foolish to think some of it doesn't get in. That's what advertising and marketing teaches us, doesn't it? You are lacking Your life's not what it could be. And if you just had this, if your circumstances were just like this, all would be well. Oh, and by the way, we have this for you at $9.99. Or more. Our culture teaches us that joy actually comes from things like the house. The house being in the right suburb, or the house being neat and tidy, or the house being you know, relatively mortgage-free, or the house... It tells, us, it tells us that. It tells us that joy comes from the holidays. Right? You grit your teeth and just kind of you know, miserably get through everything else until the holidays. And then, have you ever had the experience you get in the car and go away on holidays and you're about half a day in and you're thinking, this is nothing like what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have... No. <laughs> right? On that note, joy comes from the family being a certain way and working out a certain way and relating a certain way. There's only one problem with that. Families are made up of sinners. And they don't always relate that way that you'd like them to relate. And it doesn't always go how you'd like it to go and so well, that's not going to work. Or well, joy comes from the toys we can have. Not when we're little. Big toys for big people. Or joy comes from the body, having the body in the right shape, or the bank balance, or the reputation, or, 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 which all might be okay when life is going according to plan, that is according to your plan, but what about when it's not? What happens to us then? Or more to the point, what happens in us then? Do we become bitter towards God? Do we resent him? Do we lose whatever joy we might have had? Do we become particularly unpleasant to be around? You see, friends, the thankfulness and joy we have here, clearly, based on Paul's chains, transcends our circumstances. So what is it? What kind of joy is it? Where does it come from? Well, perhaps to our great surprise, what we see is it comes from gospel community. It comes from gospel community. It actually comes from the church. Believe it or not, maybe you need some more convincing. It comes from us having genuine relationships with one another as saints in Christ Jesus, as people who have been set apart by God for holy purposes. It comes from us having genuine relationships as People who have been adopted by God through repentance and faith in Jesus as his sons and daughters for eternity. As people whose lives have been flooded and continue to be flooded with grace and mercy from God through Jesus. That's where this joy seems to come from that Paul is experiencing. Which leads me to the second thing I want you to see this morning. Paul has joy in God's presence because he has partnership with them in God's gospel. Look at verse 5. He tells you, doesn't he? He says, I make my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He unpacks the reason why there's so much thankfulness to God. In him for them and why he has so much joy in the presence of God because of them? Because of their partnership for a decade or more. All right, it's probably 10, 11 years, something like that that he's referring to. From the first day, that is when he first landed in Philippi in Acts chapter 16 and spoke to them about Jesus and God opened Lydia's heart and she became a believer and so did her household and then the Philippian jailer was saved and in his house from that day right up until now when Paul's sitting in a prison cell. Your partnership in the gospel till then, from then. Now, the word partnership here is worth unpacking and kind of hard to convey in its fullness. You'll, if you've got different translations, you'll notice they use different words. And they're trying to get at the whole, kind of the whole lot. And ESV says uh, particip- partnership. Some translations say fellowship and others say participation. And they're all trying to get the whole meaning of the words. The words koinonia ko- 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 which we often use for the word fellowship. But let's just unpack those. They're all part of it. And actually, it's best to try and think about all of them as a whole. Participation. I thank my God because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. What does that kind of point to? Well, that points to their experience of the gospel with Paul. Paul is praising God because he has saved them through the preaching of the gospel. And because he is continuing to change them through the power of the gospel because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Then there's the word fellowship, which has that idea of shared experience, common experience in the one thing. And Paul is joyful before God and thankful to God because of their fellowship in the gospel. It's kind of like what's said in verse 7. Verse 7, Paul says it's right for me to feel, notice the tone, this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all, what? Partakers with me of grace. Fellowship, sharing in this common reality of the grace of God through Jesus. And then the last one is partnership, which points to the idea of their working with Paul To spread the good news of Jesus or to advance the gospel. points to this idea of, like all partnerships do, what happens when you enter a partnership? Well, you kind of have a whole bunch of privileges and responsibilities of a partnership and when it's all laid out in front of you and you agree to it, what do you do? You sign on the dotted line. Paul's referring to the way they have boots and all, if you like signed up with him to spread the good news of Jesus. Which means their time, their talents, their treasure are all directed towards seeing more people come to know Jesus. And this, friends, is the source of Paul's thankfulness to God and his joy in the presence of God. Because of their partnership, because of their fellowship, because of their participation with him in the gospel. So friends, do you see what this actually means for us today, here and now? It means this, and maybe you've never seen this before. Our collective thankfulness to God in prayer And our collective joy in the presence of God in prayer is directly affected by the vitality or the health of our collective walk with Jesus. Let me say that again our collective thankfulness to God in prayer. And our collective joy in the presence of God in prayer is directly affected by the health of our collective walk with Jesus. Don't believe me? Paul writes in the next letter, Colossians chapter 1, similar kind of language, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. There he is again. He's got this thankfulness before God. Why? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Paul's joy, if you like, if a meter on his joy, some kind of measure, his joy meter has gone up since he has heard about the Colossian believers. Need more convincing? 3 John verse 4, probably a verse or a part of the Bible we don't often see very much. It's only half a page. See what the Apostle John says? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. I have no greater joy. That's got to be a classic Mother's Day verse there, right? Seriously. I mean, think about it. It is Mother's Mother's Day today. What fills the hearts of mums with thankfulness and joy? Well, probably things like this. If their children are flourishing or thriving or developing or maturing, Or at the appropriate time, multiplying. Turns mums into grandmas. Now grandmas have hearts filled with joy. The words failing to thrive are not the words a mother wants to hear. She wants to hear that her children are thriving. And even more so, mums who know Jesus. What thrills their hearts more than anything? That their children are walking in the truth. Doesn't get any better than that. I mean, they can now, yeah, whatever. Do whatever you want in this life. Doesn't matter, you know, we don't mind that much. This is what we really, really want. That's the picture we have here in Philippians. Paul's heard news. He knows them. He's experienced their partnership their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now and that's the source of his joy he's full of thankfulness to god he hears it he sees it he identifies it as a work of god's grace in their lives and so he thanks the one who's done it so let me ask you the challenging question does our walk with jesus raise the temperature or the intensity of our collective joy in the presence of Jesus? Does our collective walk with Jesus raise the temperature of our collective joy in Jesus? That's what's meant to happen. When your brothers and sisters in Christ think of you are they thankful to God for you? I mean, you probably don't really know, right? <laughs> and you know, I don't want you going to them after the service. Hey, are you thankful to God for me? You know. But what do we need to do? Well, how can we, you know, see that they might be thankful to God for us? Well, we need to follow hard after Jesus ourselves. All right? We need to submit our lives to Jesus ourselves regularly and consistently. We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus ourselves regularly and consistently because we know then that when our brothers in Christ think of us, they're going to go, Oh, praise God for what you're doing in that person's life. Praise God for such and such and the encouragement that they are. All right? Partnership in God's gospel. Paul has joy in God's presence. He has partnership in God's gospel. Notice, friends, that this is an indication, if you like, of a healthy church. Actually, of a great church. Well, whether they have great music or a great kids' program or great facilities. I mean, they're all good things for which we give thanks to God. But that's not the, that's not the main measure. What's the main measure? Whether or not the gospel is shaping their lives. That's the main measure whether or not they're being changed by its power, united by its truth, and committed to its advance. Are we a healthy church? No perfect church, remember? Is the gospel central? Yeah, I think so. We need to work hard at keeping it there because there's all sorts of temptations to... Let it slip. Are you a healthy Christian? Is the gospel shaping you? Paul has joy in God's presence, partnership in God's go- because he has partnership with them in God's gospel, and that leads to the last thing I want us to see this morning. He therefore has confidence in God's salvation for them. Look at verse six. And I am sure of this, Paul says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Great verse. Who loves that verse? I've loved that verse for years. It's fantastic, right? And what Paul's saying here is actually stunning, don't you think? He's He's had a recent update about them, but he's a long way from them. You know, you can't just pick up the phone. You can't just message them on Facebook. You can't, you know, like it's, you can't do... I don't know, Zoom or Microsoft Teams. or He can't do any of that. He will literally probably never see them again. Never have the opportunity to minister directly to them again. Yet he expresses this incredible confidence in God's salvation for them. Really? How? Verse 6 tells us that he's confident that they will land safely in the presence of Jesus on the final day. regardless of the fact that they're a minority in their society, no matter what cultural pressure or hostility they might experience just because they're following Jesus, despite what suffering or persecution or trials they might face up ahead, Paul is clear. I am sure, or as other translations have it, I am convinced or I am certain that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. How can he be so confident? Is he kind of presuming on God's grace? Does that mean he's saying the Philippians can live however they like? Oh, God's going to get you there. Do what you want. Is this what people mean when they say once saved, always saved? Well, have another look. Notice the first word in verse 6 and, which means it's got a connection to the previous words. What are the previous words? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. These believers have been following Jesus for a decade or more. And as Paul looks at them, their lives are full, overflowing with evidence of God's saving grace over years. And as he looks at them, he concludes this. That is a genuine work of God that's gone on. That is a genuine work of God's salvation. They have been deeply and genuinely saved and Paul has seen it for years. The trajectory of their lives has been that way. Not perfection, but direction. Uh, they didn't just stick up their hand at some, some event. They didn't just tick a box uh, you know, so on some response card. They have followed Jesus for years. His grace has been evident in their lives for years. And because of that, Paul is confident in terms of their future. Notice he's not confident in them, is he? Saying, no, you guys are awesome. Hang in there. You'll get there to the end. I'm pretty sure of it. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you and who's continued that good work since will land you there in the presence of Jesus. He's confident in God to continue to save and transform their lives. No wonder Paul is overwhelming, overwhelmingly thankful to God for them. No wonder he's full of joy in the presence of God, because of them. He has confidence in God's salvation for them. Now, I don't know whether you like reading much or whether you like reading history much, but if you don't, can I encourage you to start or to give it a go? I wasn't much of a reader when I became a Christian, but I started reading a lot of God's Word. I kind of had this thirst for it. But the other thing I started reading was biography and historical biography in particular. And one of the periods I read about was the 18th century revival in England and America. And it literally blew my mind. It literally blew my mind, and I don't think he's here, but Richard's mind, and a bunch of us who read some books together at the same time. Because God did such a work in England during that time through people like John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, the Methodist churches, people like George Whitfield and others, if you read it, it will blow your mind, I'm telling you. He turned, God turned England upside down. England was an absolute basket case morally. And God did a work that completely changed the whole nation and it flowed over into America and changed large parts of America as well. These men would preach, get this to crowds of up to 10,000 people in the open air. And God had given them such bellowing voices. And he seemed to, people often reported, of having the right climate happen on those occasions so that the best trajectory of the preaching of the gospel could happen. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people became Christians. Coal miners were converted. They said there were white tracks down the eyes of, the, down the cheeks of these hardened men who worked in the coal mines as God did a work of massive revival and transformation of a nation. But interestingly enough, when you read the story, one of the things you might come across is as they went through different sections and preached the gospel, and people made responses of repentance, deep repentance about their sin and faith in Jesus, they didn't make an early call. What they would do is they'd go up the length of that section of of England or wherever it was they were, and then some months later they would come back and they would have what they would counsel people. When they came back, not the kind of counselling that we might often go to to get some help with this or that, but they would counsel the people who had made some kind of response when they were first there. Why would they do that? They came back and they wanted to confirm that the work of God's salvation that seemed to have happened definitely And they had things in place in the meantime so they'd have midweek Bible studies. What a great idea. I don't know whether, maybe we should do something like that. No, they had those kinds of things, right, that people went to. And then the ministers themselves would come down and they would have personal counselling sessions with all those who responded. They wanted to confirm the work of salvation. That's what's happened here with Paul. He's visited them a couple of times since he first went there, and now he's just heard about them again. And the evidence is there. Their lives are continuing to be changed. Their fellowship, their partnership, their participation in the gospel is clear. And so he's confident. He Who who's begun a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. They will be standing there in front of him. Now this is a really, I think one of the reasons why so many of us love this verse, verse, verse 6 in particular, is it's because it's so helpful. It's actually really comforting if you have a sensitive conscience about your failure as a believer. Because you might find yourself thinking, I don't know whether I'm ever going to get there. I'm really not sure that I'm even going to make it. I'm only 25 and I just keep messing up and I'm trying to follow Jesus, but I don't know when I'm going to be standing in the presence of Jesus and it seems like such a long way off and I don't know if I'm going to get there. If that's you, this is such a comforting verse for you because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion and yes, you will struggle along the way, but God isn't going to abandon you. He'll get you there. He'll land you there. And yes, it might be tough at times. And yes, you might backslide. Yes, you might fail. But he'll be at work even in your failures to grow you in Jesus. Not only is it a comforting verse for the sensitive conscience, but it's a challenge for the complacent one. Because it kind of says this, doesn't it? He who began a good work in you we will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. And so there should be some evidence of something going on in between then and then. So you can't just live however you like. This verse is not a free pass to do whatever you want until one day God snaps his fingers and you land in the presence of Jesus. And if there's nothing going on, then maybe it never happened. Maybe you need to come back and humble yourself and repent and believe and actually experience God's salvation that will continue until you land in the presence of Jesus. It's really interesting. We could either be a backslidden Christian or not Christian at all and think we are. The remedy is the same. (laughs) Repent and believe. Turn away from whatever you're doing, from living life your own way and running your own ship, which is only headed for catastrophe. And trust in Jesus, who died to rescue you and to land you safely. Not only is it a comfort to the sensitive conscience, a challenge to the complacent, but it is a real strong encouragement, isn't it, to live for Jesus? If he's at work in my life right now, what does living for Jesus look like? Well, one of the things it definitely looks like is cooperating with what he is doing. All right, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks when it says, Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good purpose. In other words, join God in what he's doing. Don't resist it. Don't fight against it. Don't rebel against it. Don't miss it. He's at work. Go with it. <laughs> Roll with it. Pursue it. Live for Jesus with the power of God that's at work in you to help you to do so. So notice, friends, not just the words that are spoken here in God's Word are important, but notice that the tone in which they are expressed really matters. Paul has joy in God's presence because of their partnership in God's Gospel. And therefore he has this confidence in God's salvation for them. We're going to head towards communion in a minute. And one of the great things about communion is it's an opportunity every time we have it to repent and believe. Not to become Christians all over again. Oh, maybe it is to become Christians for the first time. That would be awesome. But if we're already Christians, it's an opportunity for us to repent and believe, to turn from our sins, our waywardness, our running our own ship, and to trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for us again. It's an opportunity to remind ourselves that, yeah, we're sinners. He's blameless. We need his mercy. And he gives it and offers it and pours it into our lives through Jesus. So come and as we sing uh, together this last song in preparation for coming around the Lord's table, come and express your faith in Jesus again. Come and repent towards God from the ways things have you think that things have distracted you from him. Maybe it's the toys, maybe it's the house, maybe it's the bank balance, maybe it's the reputation. Come and find mercy from God afresh today in and through Jesus.